Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording, Kenny Thomasitz shares a story on the theme, Adaptations. Our story starts in 1999. Bill Clinton is still in the White House. Y2K is a very viable threat still to the American way of life. And I have just graduated from Penn State and moved to Manhattan to work in the film industry. And I took advantage of all the hedonistic delights that that sordid little island had to offer. I started popping ecstasy like Tic Tacs, going to trance clubs every weekend. I was wearing pants that look like fucking revival tents that could uh, accommodate a family of four comfortably. Um, and I was in my total woohoo stage. Um, things were awesome until I started, my brain started turning into fucking marshmallow fluff. Uh, I would walk into rooms and totally forget why I walked in there. Uh, my favorite sentence became, <laughs> um, <laughs> and if I had a CAT scan, the picture of my brain would come back looking like a fucking wiffle ball. So I did what any smart, sane, rational person would do. I stopped doing E and started doing scads of coke. Uh, oh yeah, fucking A, the yeah, yeah. I absolutely loved it. It made me a fucking rock star. I was the smartest person in the room, the funniest person in the room, the most put together person in the room, and not just in the room, in all of Manhattan and in the entire fucking world. In reality, all I was doing was staying up until dawn, debating on who was a better drummer, uh, Neil Peart from Rush or John Bonham from Zeppelin. Um, in actuality, I find out that it's actually Ginger Baker from Cream. Um, it'd be like 9.30 on a Tuesday night, and I'd be like, you know what, you could do a bump, get to sleep by 11.30, uh, be up for work in time. So I'd do the key bump and then cut to 4.30 in the morning, and I'm calling the dealer and paging him, like, you need another fucking eight ball over here. And uh, it was bad. But I... A pretty smart dude. I have a hellacious work ethic. And like I said, I was in the film industry, and I ended up working my way up the ladder. And I got a job as a producer. And I started making stacks, like sexy fucking money. And I was really enjoying that. And I realized if I want to keep making this money, there's no way that I could do that by going to sleep at 6.45 in the morning and then setting my alarm for 7.15 and sprinting to the subway in order to spend 15 hours on set. So, uh... I had to quit the yaya, right? I did that, uh, and it wasn't as hard as I thought because I, um, my hatred of the hangover started overtaking my love of the high. Plus, I've always had, since I was 18, a solid bedrock of rampant pot use, and I could always lean back on that. Oh, Mary Jane, my first love. Now, when I say I smoked a lot of pot, I smoked a lot of, a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of fucking pot, okay? Um... Daily, 19 years. Um, I'd be willing to bet folding money that I have lost more dope packing sloppy bowls than this entire room has smoked together, okay? Uh, Almost every day for 19 years. um, Weddings, funerals, holidays, bar mitzvahs. Um, So I had that going for me, right? Around That was around like 2006. We get to like 2010, 2011, and New York starts getting to me. It's calcifying me. It's got it's this hardened enamel. Um, Patton Oswalt, hysterical comedian, said the truest, funniest statement I've ever heard about uh, New York in my entire life. And he said, pretend that your brain is a rat, your head is a cage, and New York City is a fucking stick poking the rat constantly. And I was miserable. 
And I needed to know that everybody else around me was miserable and that I was the cause of that. And that is a really, really shitty way to live life. So I had to change something, right? Um, So I decided I want to get my MFA in creative writing. I want to write stories. I want to write novels and short stories and teach for a living. So I get into this amazing school in Vermont. It's called Goddard College. It's a low residency program uh, where I just go the first semester, the first week of every semester, and then I can work anywhere else in the world. So I'm doing that, and the first two semesters are going great, but the people, now I worked for this company for like 13 years, and I bled for them, and I gave them everything, and I was just so loyal to them. Um, But they started to realize that um, I was a lot more serious about being a writer than being a producer, which is what they were fucking paying me for. Things started happening, mistakes. I was making a lot of mistakes. And then one day, they just didn't call me anymore. And I had given so much to them that I thought maybe, you know, hey, I was fucking up, I get that. But maybe I could have had a two-minute conversation and a handshake. Hey, you're fucking up, we're moving in a new direction, get the fuck out of here. But I didn't get that. And I was absolutely devastated. A basket case. So uh, my identity was all wrapped up in being this producer, right? So I call home to my parents. I'm like, I don't know what to do. So my mom says, well, why don't you just come back home and live in the basement and you can finish your studies and figure it out from there. And so my absolutely gigantic, uh, hot air balloon-sized, fragile eggshell ego was not on board with that. But I really didn't have any other course of action. So I load up my entire life in a U-Haul. I got my cat Mingus next to me, and I'm moving back to Pittsburgh, okay? I'm I'm driving through Pennsylvania, it's like midnight, and this fucking unholy terror of a rainstorm hits. I'm talking a tempest, right? And it's like someone's dumping buckets over the windshield, and I can't fucking see shit, right? The wipers can't even keep up. I can't even see past the... uh, the front of the hood, right? So I did what any norm, normal, sane, rational person would do. Instead of pulling over like every other fucking car on the highway, I just go and start riding the rumble strip for 200 miles. Zero visibility. Nav- <laughs> <laughs> Navigating on sound, feel, and just fucking bad judgment, right? <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, God, is this appropriate? Metaphor has met life. So I make it home. And I moved back into this postage stamp that I grew up in, okay? Now, the house that I grew up in is one of those houses. It's so small. Um, I'm sleeping on a futon. Look at me. I barely fit on this fucking stage, and I'm hanging, sleeping on a futon. My feet are hanging over. But it's one of those houses where you can tell who is walking where and what mood they're in from anywhere in the house. So if you hear, like, it's like, oh, mom's up, her knee's hurting, and she's going to the bathroom. And then if you hear, like... It's like, oh, uh, Game of Thrones is over. Dad just drank four glasses of wine, and he's going to bed. Um, So at this point in my life, this voice appears, this fucking demon voice that is, you fucking piece of shit. Are you kidding me? Why even wake up in the morning? You went from making six figures in the swanky bachelor lifestyle in Manhattan to three weeks later living in your fucking parents' basement. And I'm hearing this voice every day, okay, all day. Um, And I'm in a really bad place. So at this time, I'm still getting high every night, okay? And I'm not smoking pot. I'm using a vaporizer. Um, Vaporizers are now very popular, right? So it doesn't burn the pot. It just burns it at a perfect level so that all the good shit burns off the THC. And it gets you stoned to the bejesus. And stoners will tell you that the big draw of it is that it doesn't smell as much. (laughs) Or so I thought. Um... 
for three weeks, every night, I'm down in the basement. Instead of going outside with somebody that has dignity and you know, respect for his parents, I'm just popping off in the basement thinking nobody's the wiser. And I'm so fucking nose blind at this point, you know, unless there's a bonfire pot wafting in my face, I can't smell it. Um, and I remember one morning I woke up and I was so hungover. And there ain't no cure for a hangover like 15 bong hits, a bacon, egg, and cheese, and a nice cold can of Coke. So I took three gigantic hits and I went upstairs. And I'll never forget this. I'm sitting in the room and my dad's reading the Sunday paper. And my mom comes out and she says to my dad, Murph, I think that skunk's back. And it's during the day. Aren't they nocturnal? He's getting really aggressive. Oh, sweet Jesus H. Melodious fucking Christ on a popsicle stick. I am now inadvertently gaslighting my 68-year-old henna-haired mother into thinking that there's some rogue skunk surrounding the property fucking spraying the house. No, Mom, that's just your loser son. I'm almost 40. I'm living at home in my parents' basement. I'm unemployed, and I'm smoking ganja every night. One of those had to fucking go. I stopped smoking pot. And I don't know if anyone's ever had a professional habit, but when you stop smoking pot, really fucking weird Technicolor dreams start happening. Ted Danson and Roddy McDowell were chasing me through the Overlook Hotel from The Shining with machetes because I was trying to hook up with Ted Danson's daughter. I don't know what the fuck that was about. I quit, but the voice is still going, you know? You're a piece of shit. There's no way you're going to get your degree. But I'm still going to school. And while I'm at school, I meet an amazing person. She was... She is... Brilliant. She's hysterical. She's an incredibly talented person, a writer. Um, she has the physical attributes prized by the superficial male. And I was ass over tea kettles in love with her, absolutely smitten. And she, for whatever reason, felt the same way about me. So we get into this long, convoluted distance, email y kind of relationship. We end up graduating. It's complex. It ends up going dark for about eight months. It was like one of the Worst periods of my life, but we get back together and we start traveling back and forth. She's coming to Pittsburgh. I'm coming to Virginia. And finally we decide, hey, um, why don't I move to Virginia and we can maybe make hay out of this? So I miraculously get a job, at, and I'm not going to mention the school, but I, uh, after what I just said, no. Um, so I miraculously get a job with my MFA uh, and I start teaching English composition. Now, the voice is really kicking in. Are you fucking kidding me, you fucking fraud? There's no fucking way you could teach. They're totally going to fire you. You're horrible. And there's no way she's going to stay with you. She's too wonderful, and you're such a piece of shit. Do you really think she loves you as much as you love her? And so I'm dealing with this. I'm a... No, nobody in this town. Only her. I'm dealing with the stresses of not knowing anybody and trying to adapt to a new place. Uh, I'm constantly trying to find a new job because teaching doesn't pay shit, I found out. I end up getting another job at another school, uh, a good one. It's one of the most stressful times of my life, and I keep postponing things. Next week, I'll start living in the moment. Once the semester's over, I can start concentrating on our relationship. Once the holidays are done, we'll get together uh, and, and really talk things out. You know? But th- I had always thought things were going great. Um, now, what I'm about to say, if you know of whom I'm speaking... Please don't let what I'm about to say cloud your judgment of her, if you happen to know her. Um, She's an incredibly caring, wonderful, giving person. I'm happy for everything that we experienced. We had really great times, and I'm grateful for that. But let's just say that two days before Christmas, this past Christmas, I was treated very, 
very, very poorly. Okay, it was New York all over again. The rug was pulled out from under me. So now, my 2016 starts with the worst grief I've ever felt in my entire life. Uh, I'm talking like bone, pulverizing, alienation, loneliness, depression, despondency. The only people I knew were through her, um, and when I reached out to them, if they got back to me at all, it was a fucking chilly reception, right? Um, So, I'm at a loss. I'm fucking a mess. Uh, And about a week before my birthday, like the week following up to my birthday uh, in early February, I started having the most terrifying, darkest thoughts that I've ever had in my entire life. Scared the shit out of me. I never think, uh, ever would have entertained that I would have thoughts like this. Now, I love life. I love a good paleo, a gooey cheeseburger. I live for rainstorms in the summer. I love when the leaves change in the fall. I love living life. But I needed the fucking pain to stop. Okay? So it's my birthday. I have a big bottle of Xanax an even bigger bottle of vodka, and the voice is having a field day. He's like, yeah, fucking do it, dude. End it. We fucking, we don't need it. Put us out of our misery, you know? So I start writing a note to my parents and my sister uh, to kind of explain things. Man, I got through like the third sentence, and I just dropped the pen and crumpled to the floor, and I made this sound. It sounded like a sperm whale combined with Chewbacca and labor. I was like, Wah! you know? Um, so after about... This is a funny story. Stick, stick with me, okay? Um, <laughs> so after like four hours of convulsing sobs uh, on the floor, I realized I'm not ending the pain. I'm just passing it on to somebody else, right? And that's not fair. These people love me. They stood by me. My parents took me in, you know, when I needed it most. Um, so I could not do this to them. But something had to fucking change, right? So I figured the first order of business is I got to start meeting people. I start going out by myself, and I start introducing myself to anybody that has the great misfortune of locking eyes with me. Uh, Barnes & Noble. Hey, I see you're reading David Foster Wallace. He's one of my most favorite authors. My name's Kenny. And they're like, fuck off, Kenny. Um, <clears throat> so I end up, I call my friend uh, back in Pittsburgh, and he's this real crotchety, irascible kind of guy. And I tell him, I'm like, look, man, I'm in a really fucking bad way, okay? I'm having these horrible thoughts. And he's like, well, have you ever tried meditating? And I was like, meditating? What are you out of your fucking mind? Like, you meditate? And he said, most important thing I've ever done in my entire life. Greatest decision I've ever made. And now I kind of have this wall come up because I have an aversion. I wear the beads and shit, but I'm kind of like having an aversion to new agey, you know, crunchy, crystal-gazing people. I always feel like saying to them, you know what, I had a big bowl of sanctimony for breakfast. I don't need yours right now. Um, But he's like, I got books you can read. Boink. Like pop-up timers on a butterball. My nipples got hard. I like books. And he's like, I know you do. So he gave me these books, and I start reading about them. And I start learning about mindfulness meditation. And I start learning about the Buddha, right? And God damn it, it started making sense. I started carving time out for myself throughout the day. I'm up to like 25 minutes now doing this mindful meditation, just sitting with myself. When I have an emotion, I recognize it. I sit with it. I lean into it and feel it. And I also know that it's not permanent, right? It's going to end. My mindset has changed. I am now happier than I've ever been in like 11 months, which is insane after going through this horrible, horrible ordeal throughout the winter. 
I also kept at it and started going out to social situations. Uh, I ended up meeting this amazing person. She kind of took me under her wing. I'm not really sure if it was because she saw me as a reclamation project, you know, a real fixer-upper, uh, or if it was like pity, but I like to think it's because we have a lot in common, um, and she's becoming a really good friend. Uh, she started taking me out and introducing me to all her friends and these amazing people. And I'm like, oh my God, you people were here the whole time. Um, I had no idea. And I'm, I'm loving it. We talk about ideas and we're not talking about people and it's just fantastic. And she took me to a storytelling last month. And while I went to the storytelling, I met the person that runs it and she said, Kenny, it's nice to meet you. Do you have a story to tell? And I said, yes, yes I do. <laughs> and she said, well... It's about adaptation. Can you talk about adaptation? And I thought, do I know anything about adaptation? And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? That's all you've been doing for 17 years is fucking evolving. Um, so now I'm here, and I'm having probably one of the best nights of my life pouring myself out to you guys, and I really appreciate that. So if you see me out and about in the bars on the street, uh, and I come up to you and I say, hey, I'm Kenny, don't freak out like the Barnes & Noble folk. Just know that you'll be helping like a really quality dude with his evolution, okay? The voice is still there, but he's kind of like, hey, you know, you suck, dude. And I'm like, hey, fuck you. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. I'm like, all right. Um, so I'm still driving the truck, and it's dark out, but it's only drizzling now. And I can see way past the headlights, and I'm no longer on the rumble strip. So life is good. It's only getting fucking better Come along for the ride. Thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to come out and tell a story like this one, or just enjoy the show, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you can find out about our next show, learn how to submit your own story, and of course, listen to more Storyteller podcasts. I'm Deb Markham, producer of the show. Our live host is Brendan Kennedy. Amber Nettles, Scott Rose, and Evan Hartley provide production assistance. And Jenny Zell is our podcast consultant. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.